Hopefully you can hear me. Yeah, excellent. There we go. Great. Well, yeah, as Matt said, my name is Graham. I'm one of the leaders here at The Oak, if you don't know who I am. Um, we are continuing our series looking at the letters written by Peter. Um, it's actually a preaching series from 1 and 2 Peter, and we're getting into 2 Peter. So apologies for the, the title, which I um, was locked. I couldn't change it on the PowerPoint. It was one of those moments this morning. But hey, there we go. Um, so yeah, we're looking uh, at uh, the letters written by Peter. Peter, one of uh, the first of Jesus' disciples. Uh, so Peter actually walked and talked with Jesus, witnessed miracles in front of his own eyes and with his own hands uh, as he gathered up baskets of bread and fish. So can you just sort of put yourself in Peter's shoes for a minute, that you've actually spent time walking with Jesus in his life. And so Peter is the one who, having pledged his life for Jesus at that last supper, found himself denying that he even knew him only a few hours later, but then wonderfully reunited over breakfast on the beach with the resurrected Jesus. And Peter was the one that Jesus renamed as the rock, who would be called to lead the birth and spread of the early church throughout the Roman world. And so as we get into this letter to Peter, we're 30 years on from then. The good news has been preached and spread. The Christians have been scattered across the Roman Empire, the sort of known world at that time. A movement has been birthed by the Holy Spirit's power with such an impact that the Roman Emperor Nero feels the need to imprison and then to execute Peter for his faith. And at that moment you think, well, is, is that it then? Is that, is that the end? Is that the end of the church? But God had much bigger plans for his church than a one-generation movement. And praise God that we're here by the grace of that. So 2 Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. I just want to hover for a minute over the intro because it's really easy to skip over the greetings and, and get to the next bit, isn't it? But I think in the context of the passage today, a few things really struck me as I was preparing for this, that it's important to bed into our thinking before we then move on. So firstly, Peter's identity is tied up in Jesus Christ. He says he is a servant and apostle of Jesus. That is, he's been sent by Jesus. He's an advocate. These aren't his own best ideas or his own philosophy He's been sent by Jesus to bring uh, good news. He says that faith is precious. The faith we hold as Christians is precious. It's precious because it's a gift from God, received through the saving grace of Jesus. Precious because of the great cost, Jesus' life substituted for our own in order to win us back. It's precious. And then Peter prays for grace and peace in abundance. Now, I don't know what you think of the word abundance, but in my mind, that, that's a lot. 
In other translations, Peter prays, may, may God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God. We need an abundance of grace and peace in this life, don't we? Grace for ourselves, grace for others, in all the difficulties and challenges that life throws our way. Peace in the storms, peace to calm our hearts, peace when the world is at war around us, whether that's physically or metaphorically. And then it struck me, we need an abundance of grace and peace, lots of it. And I thought, well, how much is that? And why would we need more and more grace and peace as we grow in our knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord? And it got me thinking, as we grow in knowledge, we understand more deeply the holiness and goodness of God, the depths of our sinfulness and human desires, and the great love and mercy needed to bring us back to him. And we begin to realize, we begin to know more and more his grace towards us. We begin to realize and know more and more of his peace, that sure deep down knowing in our hearts that we are accepted, forgiven, loved and adopted into God's family. After all, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. And how much more grateful are we for the skill of the physician in being able to bring healing when we recognize quite how ill we are? And so I wonder where our grace threshold is. I wonder where our peace threshold is. Are we quick to judge others? Well, they brought it on themselves, didn't they? Are we quick to beat ourselves up? Are we prone to worrying and stressing about things? Do we feel tossed and turned at the mercy of the storm? Peter prays, I pray grace and peace in abundance for you. I pray for more and more grace and peace as you grow in knowledge of God's great love for you. I pray for more and more grace and peace as you understand his grace, his goodness, his compassion and his generosity towards you. I pray that we grow in being able to extend grace and peace to those around us, to a world so desperately in need of both. So it was a bit of a long intro in one sense, but I just felt it was really important to have that foundation and not just skip past the greeting. So, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 11 is our passage for today. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of God and Saviour Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His div divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, 
and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is short-sighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And so our passage today is, is really all about an encouragement for us as Christians to grow in our faith, pursuing love. Sometimes we talk about becoming more like Jesus, don't we? And I think that's really what Peter's getting at here. But as soon as we read those words, make every effort, it feels like this might be one of those oh no moments, a list of do's and don'ts. But I'd like to suggest that the Christian life is far from that. Rather, it's a grace-centered, Holy Spirit-enabled life of response to a holy, compassionate, gracious, loving Father who stopped at nothing to show his great love for you and me. Remember the preamble. Peter has already prayed for oodles, an abundance of grace and peace for us ahead of writing this. This is all part of God's transforming work in our lives, and transformation requires change moving from one form to another. If only I had one, I would have brought it, but Theo's not into this kind of stuff. It's like a transformer toy. I should have asked somebody to bring one. It changes from a truck to a robot. The parts are all there, they're all the same, but, it's, uh, but now transformed, new things are possible. And what I love about this passage is before we get to the effort part, we get the Holy Spirit part. Verse 3, his divine power, that is the Holy Spirit, has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. So Jesus promised the Holy Spirit, his divine power would dwell within us. And again, Peter experienced that firsthand, didn't he, when they were waiting in the upper room and the Holy Spirit came like tongues of fire on them and they all spoke in different languages. The power of the Holy Spirit was with him and the Holy Spirit is with us today. The Holy Spirit, a deposit of our promised future inheritance, And through him, the ability to live on this earth, not of this world, but destined for eternity with God. But Peter recognizes that the world is full of corruption, full of evil desires. And he's reassuring us that the gift of the Holy Spirit gives us all that we need to live in the light of the promises of God. You don't have to look very far around us to see evil desires and corruption in the world, sadly. Oppression, worldly power, exploitation, controlling behaviors, shame and fear, sometimes hidden, often actually all too obvious and in plain sight. It's all over the news every day, isn't it, in some guise or other. 
And it's easy to separate ourselves from what we might consider the murky world and say, well, I'm not involved in any of that. But I wonder how often I am prone to selfishness, looking after number one, maybe hatred and bitterness, harboring unforgiveness, maybe self-pity or uh, being uncaring, lacking compassion, lack of faithfulness or, or weakness when it comes to lust and greed. And so there's the rub, isn't it? Evil desires that cause corruption are in every one of us to some extent or another. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, it says in Romans chapter 3. Our human natures are not really all that appealing, are they? And our spiritual enemy, Satan, just loves to play on our weaknesses. Think about the bright, flashy lights that attract you. Whispers of, did God really say that? Dressing up images of beauty that either cause you to desire what isn't real or make you feel unattractive and worthless. Or just the slow rot of consumerism, always wanting more but never finding satisfaction. And so it's sobering to think about how evil has seeped everywhere in the world and even in our own hearts. But the good news is that we have been won back, bought back, And in contrast, Jesus promises life and freedom. He's promised acceptance and forgiveness, compassion and mercy, loving kindness, and his presence with us always. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can live in freedom and escape the corruption of the world. The next line from that verse in Romans chapter 3 It says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then says, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came from Christ Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? And so in the passage from Peter, then comes the effort line. Make every effort. And some say, but I'm I'm covered by grace. I don't need to add anything with my own effort. Some say, right, I can do this. I'll make a plan, a spiritual action regime, and as long as I do my insert regularity exercise, I'll be able to resist. Some say, I'm too far gone. Why would God be interested in me anymore anyway? No amount of effort could make any difference. And this is going to sound uncomfortable, but all three are a lie. Remember, Peter is writing to those who believe, those with faith, those who have received the Holy Spirit already. The saving has already been hard won. Jesus has done it already. Salvation, forgiveness, acceptance, eternal life, all yours because of the grace of God. And so Peter is talking about spiritual maturity here, spiritual growing up. You were born again when you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior by faith. That is spiritual birth. But we're not to stay as babies and toddlers in our faith, stumbling and crawling, only drinking milk. We need to grow in our faith, to run the race, to learn, to seek, to pursue, to become more like Jesus, looking to his example of how to live as a people belonging to God's kingdom rather than an earthly one, a worldly one. 
So Peter encourages us to develop in maturity, and it takes effort. One of my favorite passages from the New Testament is Romans 12. Um, I'll read it uh, because it um, has some parallels with what we're looking at here in 1 Peter. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all of the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge. My dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be, become, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And I love that passage. Um, I remember being deeply challenged and affected by it. It was a, a weekend away when I was at university, as it happens. And it was one of those life-changing weekend away moments. And it stuck with me ever since. Um, I even subjected our youth group at uh, the church we were at before we moved up to Leeds to all the talks afterwards. And... Um, uh, yeah, the, the guy who was speaking had a particular way of, of saying things and uh, the kids just fell about laughing at some of his intonation. It was brilliant. But it, um, it was just the, 
in view of God's mercy, how am I going to respond? What am I going to do with my life? How am I going to live? Uh, and it, it was such a, such a formative time. And, and so I guess this is a bit of an aside, but we must do all we can to give our kids and young people the opportunities to have, have moments like that, to be deeply affected by Jesus. And uh, it's great on a Sunday uh, having Oak Youth. It's wonderful what our team do. Um, but I know in my life, having those moments of weekends away or weeks on youth camp in the summer, they've just been so important to me. Um, and I just sort of get a sense that we've got a growing youth at the minute. And if you look at Treehouse, it's not going to be very many years before Oak Youth is going to be enormous. That we have a real challenge ahead of us as a church as to how we, um, how we help our young people to solidify their faith. In, in amongst the turbulence of the world. So I just throw it out there as a, we know we've got a challenge here and as a whole church, we're gonna have to uh, really, really work at that. Yeah, there you go. Um, so Paul's writing here in Romans, isn't he? Uh, in view of God's mercy, how will I respond? I know I'm saved by faith wonderful grace of Jesus and and now I've received the Holy Spirit his divine power will I pursue a life worthy of his calling I, I was not worthy but his grace has made me worthy he has covered all my sin he has washed me white as snow he stands in my place substituted to receive the punishment I deserve and so like we sung earlier here's my heart and here's my life Will I carry on in the old ways? Will I pursue a life more like Jesus? Paul says, I urge you. Peter says, make every effort. The writer to the Hebrews says, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So what does this tell us? You you can't be passive. It takes effort. It takes work and training. But we have the Holy Spirit. God himself is with us. He's in us. His power is at work in us. So Peter says from verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is short-sighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins." Eugene Peterson in the message puts it like this. I think it's quite helpful. Don't lose a minute in building on what you've been given, complementing your basic faith with good character, spiritual understanding, alert discipline, passionate patience, reverent wonder, warm friendliness and generous love, each dimension fitting into and developing the others. 
With these qualities active and growing in your lives, no grass will grow under your feet, no day will pass without its reward as you mature in your experience of our Master, Jesus. So we're encouraged to be active and purposeful in building on the foundation of faith. Like a beautifully designed building on an architect's desk doesn't look all that great when there's just a concrete slab on the ground. On my way to work, uh, sometimes when I go into Harrogate, there's a house just like that. If you've ever head out past the airport, it's that way, isn't it? If you ever head out past the airport, down Pool Bank, just, and then cross over the River Wharf, you might have seen it on the left-hand side as you go down the hill. A concrete slab on the... You probably see it every day, don't you? Um, a concrete slab on the ground, full of promise, full of potential. What will it become? What's the design? And then, after years of just being a concrete slab, something changed. A frame has been erected. Quite a beautiful one, actually, made of oak beams, I think, as it happens, and then a roof. And you can begin to see the bones of what the architect might have imagined. It's quite exciting, really. But it, I, I quite like grand designs and stuff like that. Um, but it, it's taken ages. Like, it was literally just a concrete slab on the ground for years. And who knows how much longer it's going to take to complete. I imagine it's a bit of a, a, bit of a labor of love. But isn't that what God wants for us too? A labor of love. Putting in effort alongside the Holy Spirit to see our lives built on that concrete slab of faith, seeing the beauty of the architect's plans for our lives more and more evident. And so, to faith, with the Holy Spirit's help, we're being asked to work, we're being asked to put effort in, to add goodness, good character, being truthful, honest, trustworthy, reliable, real, to add knowledge, spiritual understanding, deepening knowledge of God, engaging with his word, the Bible, seeking him and listening to him in prayer, an openness to being led by the Spirit, to add self-control or alert discipline, self-awareness. Do you know how you get tempted? Do you know where your vulnerabilities are? Be alert, be ready to defend. To add perseverance or passionate patience. Keeping on going, not giving up on God when there are setbacks. Patiently expectant of Jesus' return. Running the race requires endurance. And you sort of think with the building, the structural supports have been craned into place and the roof is on. The services have been installed and maybe it's nearly watertight. We're being asked to add godliness, reverent wonder, becoming more like Jesus as we read and learn more about him. As the Spirit transforms us more into his likeness, healing and restoring the broken haziness of the image in which we were made. And then add mutual affection or warm friendliness. Begin to see others through Jesus' eyes. 
extending hospitality with kindness and generosity, compassion and care to those around us. You know, affection has its root in the word affect. Be affected by other people's situations and bring an effect to it mutually. And then the biggie, love, generous love. This is the culmination and the pinnacle of all of the, of what went before, isn't it? Remember, love is patient, kind, it's not envious, it's not boasting, it's not proud. It is honouring rather than dishonouring, selfless rather than self-seeking. It's not easily angered, but loving justice and mercy, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth, protecting, trusting, hoping, persevering, never failing, never giving up, always and forever love. Well, that's a high bar, isn't it? And not just love towards those who are easy to love. The challenge is to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And Peter talks about possessing these qualities in increasing measure. And so with the Holy Spirit's help, we can grow in spiritual maturity and avoid the short-sighted blindness, forgetting that we have been cleansed from our sins. We can't do it on our own, can we? We need the Spirit with us. Otherwise, you're just setting yourself up for failure. Now, often we talk in collective terms here at the Oak, don't we? Rightly so, I think. We are all part of the body, the church. But this passage brings a challenge to you and to me, to each of us, very personally. But the beauty of the collective is that you are not alone. It's one of the beautiful things of the church. We get to encourage each other. We get to pray with one another. We get to disciple each other. We get to point each other to Jesus' example. And that's what our life groups are really all about. To then be able to work some of this stuff through and, and to pray with each other and help each other. So if you're not in a life group, can I really encourage you to find someone who you can mutually encourage? Uh, you can encourage each other and seek to grow. So, uh, Faye, do you want to just pop up in a second? Um, Peter wraps up this passage with an encouragement to make sure that you know deep down that you have been called to Christ, confident of your salvation. Verse 10, he says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Some translations say, make certain your calling and election, or, or make your calling and election sure. And in my experience, this language has been used a bit unhelpfully sometimes, to suggest a need to earn salvation through doing all the things on that list. But I think, I think we can say that that interpretation is at odds with 
Peter's first letter that we've been studying and, and the beginning of this one that we looked at earlier when he said it's all about grace. Remember, this is Peter who denied Jesus as he hung on the cross and then received grace and forgiveness from Jesus' first hand on the beach over breakfast. So, so what does this mean in making every effort to confirm your calling and election? I don't think God needs any convincing is the first thing. He's the one who chose you, he's called you, and he's given himself for you. And I don't think you need to try and prove your Christianity to others. The Holy Spirit in you will produce fruit. But as we've seen today, the Christian life is a journey, a race to be run, building on the concrete slab of faith. I think this is more about our own doubts, our own internal spiritual battle against the age-old lie of the devil. Did God really say? Did God really choose you? Did, did God really say that you were, you were saved? Did God really say that he loved you? In 1 Corinthians, uh, this is Paul writing again, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So I think when Peter's talking about making sure you're calling an election, I think he's, he's saying, are you sure? It's the Holy Spirit that enables you to say Jesus is Lord. It's the Holy Spirit that enables you to run the race. It's the Holy Spirit that enables you to make every effort to grow in spiritual maturity. And as we walk in step with the Spirit, we will be sure of our calling and election. We will grow in our knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ, our Savior. We will grow in spiritual maturity and love. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Let us ask for more of his divine power, more of the Holy Spirit in our lives day by day. And may grace and peace be yours in abundance. Amen.